Chapter 6, The Reason We Are Slaves, Debt. Just say no. Buy now, pay later. Who are they kidding? Well, unfortunately, just about everyone. The lure of getting something without having to pay immediately is too much temptation, I suppose, for the masses. Deferred gratification is just not that jazzy compared to living the high life, whether you can afford it or not. But guess what? The piper will have to be paid eventually for overindulgence. Some people are actually addicted to debt. Either through conditioning or simply not knowing where the exit is, they continue to pile up consumer debt for things that seem important at the time only because they can afford the minimum monthly payment. Guess what? In most cases, those who use credit card revolving charge accounts with double-digit interest rates and pay the minimum every month will likely not reduce enough principal to ever pay off the debt. The minimum monthly payments are actually low on purpose, designed to look attractive to get you to charge even more. Those payments eat into funds that could be used for current expenses, but instead are paying off the extravagances of the past. Yea, and he leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. 2 Nephi chapter 26 verse 22. So what do we do when we live in a consumer credit driven world? Just say no. Debt is as much a trap as tobacco, illicit drugs, gambling, or pornography. Just say no. There's absolutely no reason why anyone who wants to cannot operate on a cash basis. It might not be as stylish as flashing the plastic, but guess what? At the end of the month, you will be much better off than the next guy. Credit cards. What's in your pocket? Who needs it? Question. So, what about establishing a credit rating by purchasing things on installments so that when I'm ready to buy a house, I will be able to get a mortgage? Don't I need to use a credit card to show that I am credit worthy? Answer. Good question. Easy answer, yes and no. You will need to establish credit, and credit card accounts are an excellent way to do that, but you do not have to make purchases on installments to obtain a high credit score. If you use a credit card and pay the balance in full and timely every month, you will have an excellent score without having to pay a nickel in interest. Question. What about renting a car? Don't I need a credit card for that? Answer. Maybe. Some car companies will not rent you a car if all you have is a debit card without placing a large pre-authorization on your account. Call first to avoid surprises. Do not misunderstand me. I love credit cards. They are a great convenience. In fact, when I am in the United States, I rarely buy anything that is not put on a credit card. But every account is paid in full every month. In that sense, it is just like paying cash. I never buy something just because I have a credit card. Instead, I buy things that are in my plan and I happen to use a credit card for convenience. It is no different than operating in cash if you always pay your bills in full. However, this method is not for beginners. It is extremely easy to get ahead of yourself on a card if you are not keeping track of every purchase. The first thing you know, the bill will arrive at the same time your washing machine breaks, and instead of paying the bill in full, as you planned, you will be making the minimum payment. Yikes. That is the beginning of the end. Did you know that on most cards, if the full payment is not received before the cutoff date, interest will begin to accrue on all past, present, and any future charges on the day you make the charge? No more grace period. Period. It is difficult to stop this cycle once it starts because even if you pay for all your charges to bring your account current, if you do not add an extra amount for the full accrued interest, then interest will continue to accrue on your current charges. Basically, it is designed as a trap to keep you paying interest on your purchases. If you are ever late making your full payment, the only safe way out is to stop using the card for a time. Call for a payoff amount including interest, then pay the card in full and do not use it again until the next billing cycle. Better strategy? 
pay all your bills in full and on time every month or use a debit card. Shark infested waters. You may have heard of Dave Ramsey and others who are well known for their books and radio shows to help people climb out of the abyss of debt. In fact, there is an entire industry devoted to saving people who have mortgaged their future earning potential in the present. This is a sad commentary on our modern society as individuals, nor are our governments setting an example of fiscal responsibility. All are in jeopardy. I am not going to use up any ink telling you how to get out of consumer debt. Instead, I suggest a different strategy. Stay out of shark-infested waters. Avoid consumer debt altogether. Just say no. Justifiable debt. Question. Okay, I see your point about credit cards, but aren't there legitimate reasons to go into debt? Answer. Yes, but I can count all the reasons on two fingers. Number one, a home mortgage is a legitimate reason to take on debt with certain caveats that will be outlined later in this chapter. Number two, education is a possible reason to take on debt, but is not really necessary in every case. Oh, did I get to two already? Too bad if your favorite debt is not on the list. It is a short list. Take a look at number two first, education. In some ways, it is like buying the car we talked about in chapter three, the sauce. There are many colleges and graduate programs you could choose. Some are reasonably priced and some are very expensive. If it is important to you to attend a college that you and your family cannot afford and you do not have a scholarship to pay the tuition, then you will have to go into debt to do it. That decision is for you to make just like the one about which car you want to drive. It is possible that the expensive school provide more lucrative employment options upon completion and you will have to weigh that into your decision. Some fields, like medicine for example, will require your full time and attention during school or you could be left behind. Consequently, you may not be able to work concurrently for an extended period. That would be a legitimate use of debt for education. But even in legitimate cases, be aware that it can take you decades to get out of the abyss. I like the debt-free option, particularly for undergraduate degrees. Attend a school you can afford by working during the summers and even during school if necessary, with the goal of graduating with no school loans. If you are able to get a career position in your field with a four-year degree, then most larger companies will have a benefit package that will help pay your tuition and other education expenses while you earn your graduate degree. It might take longer to finish by enrolling in night school part-time while you are working, but what is the hurry? You already have a good job. When you get an advanced degree, you will be more valuable to your current and any future employer. I think this two-tier approach is a good strategy and one that will keep you from having to acquire debt unnecessarily to finance your education. Doing it right. Now let us look at the primary justification for prudent debt, a mortgage on your home. Be aware that not all mortgages are alike, so it is important to learn what is smart and what is not. There have been many different types of mortgages introduced during the real estate boom of the past 50 years, driven by the need for creative financing as home prices have soared. I will divide these into two broad groups, variable and fixed rate mortgages. When you evaluate a mortgage that will best meet your needs, you have to know what your short, medium, and long range goals are for the underlying property. Variable rate loans continue to increase in popularity as frequent relocation has become the norm. Teaser rates for the first year or longer are often heavily promoted, but in the fine print you will discover that the loan can rise with the market up to 10 percentage points higher during the life of the loan. These are usually capped to a certain percentage increase per year, so they do not go up all at once. But it is still risky business if you are planning to keep the house long term. On the other hand, if you know that you will be selling the house in three or four years, then it might make sense to get a variable loan with the first five years fixed. But read the fine print carefully. 
I prefer fixed rate conventional loans because it is easy to know the end from the beginning. Straightforward always works for me. The first lesson I learned about mortgages is that 30-year mortgages were invented by banks for people not savvy enough to do the math. That would be about everyone since a 30-year term is the most popular for fixed-rate mortgages. I learned this lesson the hard way as many are wont to do. My first mortgage was a 30-year fixed and after 9 years of payments when the house sold and the mortgage was retired, I had paid off less than 10% of the loan principal. After 9 years. That is just how it works, folks. Great for the bank, not so good for the borrower. If I had chosen a 15-year mortgage instead, I would have had only 6 more years to completely retire the debt. Instead, I still owed 90% of the amount I originally borrowed. After making mortgage payments for 9 years. Following that revelation, I started analyzing the numbers and came up with the conclusions below. That was my first and last 30-year mortgage. Before examining two fixed-rate options, consider why you are buying the house in the first place. Speculation or shelter? I believe that most people opt for a 30-year mortgage because they want a lower monthly payment, thus leveraging themselves into the most house they can possibly afford. This rationale sounds a lot like the consumer debt argument about buying things you want on installments instead of paying cash. Our ancestors built cabins from logs and later houses from bricks that they made themselves. They did not have mortgages because what they really wanted was shelter, not payments for 30 years. You probably would not be too popular with your neighbors if you cut down all the trees in your yard and fashioned a log cabin out of sticks. In fact, these days, local building codes would prevent such an attempt. Additionally, indoor plumbing is a definite plus. So somewhere in between the log cabin and the mansion on the hill, there must be some middle ground. There is. Here is counsel from President Hinckley. He says, We have been counseled again and again concerning self-reliance, concerning debt, concerning thrift. So many of our people are heavily in debt for things that are not entirely necessary. When I was a young man, my father counseled me to build a modest home, sufficient for the needs of my family, and make it beautiful and attractive and pleasant and secure. He counseled me to pay off the mortgage as quickly as I could so that, come what may, there would be a roof over the heads of my wife and children. I was reared on that kind of doctrine. I urge you as members of this church to get free of debt where possible and to have a little laid aside against a rainy day. A modest home that you can pay for in less than a lifetime. What a great idea. Instead of thinking of your house primarily as an investment, think about it as a shelter for your family, a refuge from the storms of Babylon. Imagine a house that you actually buy instead of just making payments indefinitely. If you are setting yourself up for a lifetime of payments, you might just as well be renting. I like President Hinckley's advice in the quote above about paying off the mortgage as quickly as I could. If you are willing to consider a home purchase with a mortgage that you are actually planning to pay completely, so you will not have a house payment at all, then we are ready to do the math. Do not skip over this next part too quickly. Internalize the numbers for they tell a compelling story. Not rocket science. The following example compares two fixed rate mortgages that are currently available in 2009. The figures are based on borrowing $100,000. A 30-year conventional mortgage at a rate of 5% your monthly payment would be $536.82. Your total payments would be $193,255, and so your total interest would be $93,255. A 15-year conventional mortgage at a rate of 4.5%, your monthly payment would be $765, your total payments would be $137,700, and so your total interest would be $37,700. Note the interest savings on a 15-year mortgage is greater than the incremental cost. 
Go back and listen to that again. Amount of interest savings on $100,000 borrowed. 15-year versus 30-year mortgage is $93,225 compared to $37,700 with a savings of $55,555. Amount paid monthly in addition to 30-year payment over the life of the loan is $765 a month versus $536 a month. For the 30-year mortgage versus the 15-year mortgage monthly payments, times 180 payments over the 15 years would be $41,072. So the ratio of interest savings to additional cash required monthly is $55,555 divided by $41,072 equals $1.35. Want to save $1.35 for every dollar you spend? I've basically compared the extra amount of money you spend in interest on the 30-year mortgage of $55,555 to the extra amount of money you pay on a higher monthly payment on the 15-year mortgage of $41,072. Question, so let me get this right. Are you telling me that after I pony up my monthly payment of $536.82 for a 30-year loan, that if I am willing to pay an extra dollar that I will appreciate an immediate $1.35 in interest savings? Answer, absolutely. Question, so I give you a dollar and you give me a $1.35. Answer, absolutely. Question, and then I give you another dollar and you give me another $1.35? Answer, absolutely. Question, how many times can I do that every month? Answer, how about 228 times every month? That is the dollar difference between the monthly payments, 15 years versus 30-year loan. I do not know of too many other folks who are giving out free money. No wonder the banks promote 30-year mortgages. Please note that this example is used only to illustrate the point. You cannot actually pay one additional dollar every month and save $1.35, but you can pay $228 extra every month and save $307. This example on $100,000 borrowed. If you will be borrowing $200,000, then double all the numbers. $300,000, triple all the numbers. $500,000, consider a lower housing cost area if you can. Remember that your mortgage payment has to fit on the crest along with everything else. Interest savings on $200,000 borrowed out of 15-year loan rate 4.5%, $111,109. These rates are current for 2009, but everyone knows that rates are at historic lows. What happens when rates go back up? Well, the savings are even better for the 15-year mortgage as rates increase. Take a look at the same example using a 30-year rate of 9% and a 15-year rate of 8.5% on $200,000 borrowed. 15-year conventional mortgage, mortgage rates are typically lower than 30-year rates by about half a point. Interest savings on $200,000 borrowed, 15-year loan rate 8.5%, $224,000. The savings are justifiable even at very low interest rates, but the difference is astounding as rates increase. Here's the simple truth. A borrower with a 30-year mortgage will pay about two and one-half times more interest than a borrower with a 15-year mortgage. That is true if the interest rates are identical and the disparity widens even further with the typically lower interest rate offered on 15-year mortgages. When you get to Chapter 10, The Lemonade Stand, you will learn that $1 saved is up to $2 earned. So you can save a tremendous amount of time and effort by borrowing smart instead of just working hard. 
After scrutinizing these numbers, why would anyone sign up for a 30-year mortgage? Well, the reality is that most people are not even aware of what you just learned in the example above. Beyond that, I can only think of two reasons. Either they want to buy more house than they can afford, or they are buying a house too early before they can qualify for a 15-year mortgage based on their income. This affirms all the more the viability of my encouraging you to not rush into home ownership. Instead, use that time to save up a healthy down payment while you are renting. Who started the rumor that paying rent is like throwing money away? Probably the banks, because they want you on a 30-year hook as soon as you can qualify to make the minimum payment. Where have we heard that phrase before? If you could afford to decrease the term of the loan to less than 15 years, the interest savings would be even greater. But the most practical difference is the comparison between the two most common mortgage terms, 30 years and 15 years. In 1987, we found ourselves in a situation where our budget would allow making payments on a 15-year schedule, but the bank said our income was insufficient for us to qualify for a 15-year loan. In those days, banks were actually qualifying candidates for loans. If they had continued that prudent practice, our economy would not have suffered the subprime meltdown in the credit markets that we are still working through. Based on the lender's criteria, if we wanted to buy that house, we had to get a 30-year mortgage. Undaunted, I continued to make payments according to my schedule, including the additional principal amount needed to retire the mortgage in 15 years. This strategy is still a good one if you find yourself in that position. The only downside is a slightly higher interest rate. But the upside is that if your crush shrinks due to a change of employment or your sauce grows due to unforeseen expenses, you will have a fallback position without risking the loss of your home due to foreclosure. The Great Rent Debate Before you rush into a home purchase with a minimum down payment and a 30-year loan, consider the numbers in the following example and that cottage for rent might be more attractive. To keep it simple, I will use round numbers which may or may not apply to you but will illustrate the point. Suppose that you decide to buy a modest home in the range of $250,000. You believe my calculations above so you decide that you need to rent long enough to save $50,000 for a down payment. The reason I have specified a minimum of 20% down is to avoid having to pay PMI, private mortgage insurance, which is required on all conventional loans with less than 20% equity. The second prong is to qualify for a 15-year mortgage or pay each month on a 15-year schedule. You will be borrowing $200,000, so your savings over a 30-year loan at current rates will be $111,109. Not having to pay PMI will save you another $83 to $100 per month. That is another $30,000 savings over the life of the loan. Total, $141,000 savings on $200,000 borrowed. Compared to Mr. Jones, who bought the house right next door with a 30-year loan and a minimal down payment. So how long can you afford to rent to put an extra $141,000 in your pocket? With lots of work and sacrifice, also good for marriages, say you can accumulate the $50,000 for the down payment in five years. Your rent during that time at $1,000 per month would be $60,000, but you will be saving $141,000 on the mortgage, so your rent is actually free while you are saving up your down payment, and you still enjoy a savings of $81,000. You also get to buy a $250,000 house, but your friend who was in a hurry to become a homeowner five years ago with a 30-year mortgage and nothing down can only buy a $200,000 house. Alternately, If in the interim housing prices continue to decline instead of appreciate, you might be able to buy the same $250,000 house for $200,000 and since you have $50,000 saved, you will only need to borrow $150,000. Now, 
you are so far ahead of your friend who was in a hurry that I cannot even count that high. The next time you take a plane trip, realize that the person sitting next to you on the very same plane might have paid twice as much for his ticket as you paid if you are a smart shopper. The same is true for houses on the same block. Do the math, then do the smart thing. If you are renting in order to save money for a down payment and you do it the sensible way, not only will you not be throwing money away, but you will get all your rent back and then some while you are buying your house. Like everything else that you work, save, and sacrifice for, you will appreciate it all the more. It is a beautiful thing. Anyone for 40 years? After reviewing the numbers above, it is hard to believe that anyone would opt for a 30-year loan at all. But can you even imagine a 40-year loan? I recently completed the sale of a commercial property and our entity carried the note instead of the bank. The buyer was allowed to choose any amortization period up to 40 years. Remember now that I am representing the lender in this situation, so I like long amortizations. They were invented by banks. The difference in interest over the life of the loan between a 30 and a 40 year mortgage at current market rates is nearly 50% of the amount borrowed. This 50% increase is above and beyond the already high amount of interest collected on the 30 year term. This is excellent business for the bank, not so good for the borrower. And why would anyone elect a 40 year mortgage? The answer is simple. They are seeking the lowest possible monthly payment. Sound familiar? And they obviously have not read the pizza principle. Hopefully, when you get ready to buy a house, you will run the numbers and do the smart thing, not just look for the lowest monthly payment. Here is a tip. Do not stampede off the cliff just because the rest of the herd is doing it. Remember the 11th commandment, don't follow the crowd. Two houses instead of one. Whenever I suggest to someone that they pay off their mortgage, the argument always comes up about needing the mortgage interest deduction to offset income taxes. So let us take a closer look at that logic. Suppose you followed my example above exactly. When you were 23 years old, you graduated from college and got a job. You were renting a basement apartment so that all your sauce would fit on your pizza. But now you have a family on the way, so you have rented a small home. So far, so good. You have worked five years in your career and have been transferred twice. That is okay because you are still renting and saving up for your down payment. You recently got a promotion and are finally prepared to buy your first home. For this example, suppose you are now 28 years old with two or three children. Since you have saved 20% for the down payment, you will avoid the need for PMI, private mortgage insurance, that will save you even more money. You qualify for and get a 15-year mortgage, which you will pay faithfully without needing to make any extra principal payments. So when you are 43 years old, your house will be paid for, but you are not yet ready to retire. You still have four kids at home and one in college, so you had better keep working, and you are missing the mortgage interest deduction because your house is paid off. Is this a crisis or poor planning? Not at all. It is an opportunity. You can now start over on a brand new 15-year mortgage on a larger property. Move to a house that will accommodate your growing family and rent the one you've been living in. This is the perfect time to take on a slightly larger obligation for housing to meet your needs as your family gets larger. The silver lining here, in addition to being able to start depreciating your income properly, is that the rent you collect from your old house will help offset the larger mortgage on your new home. So the mortgage on the larger, more accommodating home will actually be easier to pay down than the first one was. Due to the extra rent income, you will most likely be able to pay off the second house in 10 to 12 years. So you'll be out of debt at 55 years of age when you can take an early retirement if you elect to. So in the time it takes almost everyone else to pay off one house, if they really do it at all, you have paid off two houses and enjoyed up to 30 years of mortgage interest deductions. With no mortgage on either house and some rent income coming in, you are well on your way to creating your own retirement. 
This topic will be covered in detail in Chapter 14, Retiring Without Permission. Duplex? There is another similar scenario that will appeal to some. Make your first house a duplex. Live in half of it and rent the other half. When you are ready to buy your second home in 15 years, rent both sides of the duplex and have two rents coming in to help you pay down your home mortgage even faster. When you have made the proper preparations, there are many creative ways to live comfortably in a modest home with a mortgage that you can actually pay off, a debt that you plan to retire rather than rolling it forward into your next house and starting all over as most people have the habit of doing. You would be surprised to know how many people never even plan to pay off their houses. They sell one house, buy another, and get a brand new 30-year mortgage to go with it, all because their primary motive is how to get the lowest possible monthly payment. After several repetitions of this, they wake up one day and realize they may not be around for 30 more years. Oh well. This pattern of thinking is also what leads people into reverse mortgages where every month they actually get further away from ever owning their property. So which is better, to buy a comfortable home that you can afford to pay for in 15 years or an extravagant one that you never really own in 30 or more years? You need to have a plan that works for you and then have the discipline to implement the plan. It is as simple as that. The math will work every time. Pharaoh's Dream In 1998, at the October General Priesthood Session, President Hinckley referenced Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream in relation to getting our own financial houses in order. In the interpretation of the dream, Joseph prophesied that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Because of his foresight, Joseph was put in charge of setting aside 20% of Egypt's harvest during each of the plentiful years. As a result, there was corn in Egypt when the lean years began. We need to heed this same counsel as there will certainly be even leaner years ahead. By getting out of debt, having our homes paid for, and setting aside some cash for a rainy day, we can be prepared when the storms come. I would recommend a careful reading of this entire talk. Wrong track? So what if you have already made lots of mistakes and you realize you are on the wrong track? What do you do? The same thing you would do whenever you make any kind of mistake. You figure out how to do it better the next time. If you are still young, there will be plenty of next times. It is often best if you can back up on the track you are on, but sometimes all you can do is switch tracks at the next opportunity. Either way, get on the right track as soon as you can. Sister Lindorf and I suffered a serious financial reversal trying to start a new business in the height of the Carter years. Since most of you were not alive then, all you need to know is that in the late 1970s we had gas rationing, wage and price controls, double-digit interest rates, double-digit inflation, and double-digit unemployment. I am constantly amazed when journalists refer to the current recession of 2008 and 2009 as the worst since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Have they forgotten the 1970s? Attempting to start a business in this challenging economic environment ate up all the money we had previously saved, all the money we then had, and a lot that we did not even have yet. When we finally pulled the plug, we were not just broke, we were deeply in debt. By using the strategies outlined in this book, including paying our tithes and offerings, we pulled through without going bankrupt, despite this major setback and other reversals along the way, and we still managed to retire early. Imagine what you might be able to do if you are fortunate enough to avoid a major financial reversal. Ultimately, nothing goes straight up without course corrections. While it is unquestionably better to start off on the right track, you can make it work no matter which track you find yourself on. However, when you wake up and discover that your track does not lead where you want to be headed, then you must back up and start again. Mistakes of this nature are often cheap lessons if we learn from them early enough. Usually the younger we are, when the hard lessons come, the easier it is to recover. 
When babies learn to walk, they do not have very far to fall, so it is the right time to learn. If you make mistakes in your 20s or 30s, you have time to start over. Make the same mistakes later in life, and the pain will be more acute. Our experiencing a serious business failure was one of those defining moments that set us on the track that we eventually followed. Looking back, I'm not sure we would have learned what we needed to know to pursue the course we are on now without this wake-up call. Our priorities in those days were very different. Hint, the great and spacious building is on the fast track. Climbing out of that hole actually prepared us for our current journey and we got very good at being thrifty in the process. Learning how to live on less and like it is a skill you might consider adopting. It makes it much easier to enjoy the journey. Slavery and the Civil War, 1860 to 1865. I had always considered the Civil War in the United States to be ancient history, until I figured out that my own grandfather was born in 1868, just three years after the end of this bloody conflict. So only two generations separate me from the time in the United States where human beings were allowed to be sold like cattle and held in servitude against their will. This war among our own citizens was fought primarily over two opposing ideologies, freedom or slavery. These forces are still in play. But astonishingly, many of us opt to put ourselves in servitude by acquiring a lifetime of debt. We today still have to choose between financial freedom or the slavery of debt. President Gordon B. Hinckley in the aforementioned talk refers to debt as bondage. He says, I urge you, brethren, to look to the condition of your finances. I urge you to be modest in your expenditures. Discipline yourselves in your purchases to avoid debt to the extent possible. Pay off debt as quickly as you can and free yourselves from bondage. I still remember the exact moment when I figured out that I was a slave to my home mortgage. A light bulb went on. That was the aha moment that precipitated our journey to financial freedom and early retirement. Debt is enticing to those who want it all now, but in the end they will become enslaved if they do not moderate their wants and limit their purchases to things they can really afford. This is true whether it is merely the choice of where to dine tonight or which house to buy and how to buy it. It all has to fit on the pizza. Formulate a plan that works for you, then work your plan. This process is not hard to do, and you might actually enjoy it. I guarantee you will like it better than the loss of agency that accompanies debt and the self-imposed slavery the masses have chosen by wanting everything now. Modest desires coupled with patience and self-control will yield handsome dividends.